everyone. Welcome back to Cedar and Cypress Podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful day and happy Mother's Day. It is Mother's Day. It is a Sunday, finally, every single year in May that we celebrate mothers and motherhood. Mother's Day might be a super joyous day for you, or honestly, I do understand that holiday, this might be a holiday that brings you a lot of pain. There could be a lot of reasons for that, and I want to recognize that just right off the bat. You know, if you've lost your mother or if you grew up without one or maybe you did have one and she was not so great, I know that today could be a really challenging day for you while people celebrate their mothers in their lives. And it can just be really hard for you if that's not something that you get to celebrate every year or there's not much to celebrate or you have lost your mom and maybe it's that you want to be a mother and you are not yet or something like that. But I understand this day might be challenging for you personally, just, you know, from from my perspective, I have a great mom, great mother-in-law, and I have great relationships with them both. So I personally do have a lot to celebrate and I have always loved this day. And, you know, regardless of how you relate to Mother's Day, the Bible will still offer us a lot of wisdom for considering motherhood in general. And that's what I want to talk about today because I think that this episode is still applicable for you, even if Mother's Day is a really hard day for you, just because the Bible offers us a lot of insight as to how we should consider motherhood, what we should think of mothers, what mothers should be like what biblical motherhood looks like in general, all those different kinds of things is what I kind of want to cover today. So without further ado, we are just going to jump straight into what I have for today. The first thing that I want to talk about is today's culture of kind of this aversion to motherhood. And I think this would be kind of a hard thing to deny. Honestly, I think it's easy to just see with your waking eyes that today in our modern culture, young women seem to have a bit of an aversion to motherhood. And I think nowadays it's because there is very much a a push towards building a name for yourself, having a great career, being successful, and, and being successful often comes with being financially independent, emotionally independent, all those different kinds of independence and things that we strive for, and what this word of success looks like in today's modern culture. So often it's about building a name for yourself, and a lot of times people see children as a hindrance to doing those things. So there's, it's kind of like, you know, why take pride in being a mother and raising up great children, great followers of God, if you could just be who you want to be, build a life for yourself, build a name for yourself, build up your wealth, all those different things that are earthly, like why do that if, you know, children are a hindrance to that? Why would I be a mother? Why would I care about being a mother? Why would I take pride in the fact that I get to be a mother if I can just do all these other things without a child. And also if children are a hindrance to that and make it more difficult for me to do those things that I really want to do, why would I care? I think we really do see this same kind of attitude in the Tower of Babel. This 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 wanting to build a name for ourselves is not a new thing. And so I'm not going to be here pretending like this is just some new things. Oh, I'm so surprised that the humans are acting like this and trying to run away from things that are really cool about life, getting to be a mother. And So I'm not surprised, and so I'm not going to pretend that I am. We see this happening in Genesis 11 when the Tower of Babel, which is a famous story in the Old Testament, where everyone at at one point in time had the same language, used the same words, and as people migrated, they found a place to settle. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 11, verse 3. They said to, to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. 
And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. In this situation, people care more about themselves than worshiping God. People care more about how they are considered and glorifying themselves. I don't want us to confuse this with the fact that it is okay to build cities. It is okay to build towers. It's okay to build things. We are made to build. God made us to help the world flourish, but at the expense of worshiping and honoring God and for the purpose of worshiping and honoring ourselves, that becomes a problem. And that's what the Lord took issue with at the time. And today it's the exact same attitude that we have building up cities for ourselves, building up things for ourselves, wealth, success, prosperity, relationship, all these different things that we pursue and we try to build for ourselves in the absence of God and for our own worship and praise, that becomes a huge issue. And God does not look favorably upon that. We can see here in this story that he's really opposed to that kind of attitude. The inconvenience and the genuine challenges that motherhood fa- that motherhood poses to us, yeah, that can be really hard. Those challenges are very genuine. I would never say to someone that motherhood or parenthood in general or building a family is something easy to do. I'm not so naive as to say something like that. When you're a mother, every it, it is incredibly hard to be a mother. You are pushed to your every limit, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every single way that you can be pushed past your limits, you will be pushed past your limits as a mother. You will often be at your wit's end and God will often allow you to be pushed past your limits quite often so that you are forced to rely on him. And so your relationship with him can flourish and grow and you can turn to him for things rather than trying to rely on your own strength too much. Decidedly, some women just say, you know what, these challenges, these inconveniences are just too much. I have, I just can't do it. There's no way that I could be a mother. And honestly, women are trained up now to think and given to this idea that this world revolves around them and the things that they want to pursue. So that if you don't want a mother, want to be a mother, you don't have to be. And if you want to be a mother, oh, that's great. Good for you. Go for it. Trust me, I'm a young woman, so I know how easy it is to fall in this kind of trap that what you want is what is final. What you want to pursue, what you desire for your life is a life that you should build. And I'm not saying that it's not that it's wrong to want certain things and desire certain things and and chase after those things to some extent. To some extent, it is okay to pursue those things because God has given us desires and skills and resources for for re- for a reason. There's a reason why we have all those things. But that that life of selfishness of choosing what we want and then just pursuing it based on our desires, that's not the life that God calls us to. God calls us to selflessness. And this could be in the context of motherhood that God calls you to selflessness or it could be something different entirely because not necessarily everyone is called to be a parent and not necessarily everyone who wants to be a parent will be one. But regardless of what your status is, whether you have children, you are still called to life and godliness. You are called to servanthood. That means serving and loving God and then loving your neighbors as well. 
Not everyone, again, is called to motherhood and God doesn't consider you more or less valuable with your on your parenthood status. I want that to be incredibly clear that regardless of whether you have children or not, you're equally valuable in the eyes of God because he created you, he loves you, and he wants to have relationship and fellowship and communion with you. We see here in, in Mark 10 that Jesus offers this example. He shows this incredible example of what it looks like to be a committed to your servanthood. Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 45, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may have heard me cite this verse often throughout this podcast and on different episodes because it's a really succinct way of seeing the attitude that Jesus had toward his life was that it was for the sake of rescuing humanity. He understood that his life was not about him and that he was going to be raised in glory, but he was going to have to suffer, suffer an excruciating, exceedingly painful death in order to accomplish that. Jesus was committed to that. He turned his face toward it. We talked about this on our Holy Week episode, how Jesus turned his face to death. He actively pursued death because he knew what it would look like to save humanity. He knew that that was required. He turned his face towards servanthood and and he humbled himself even upon, even to the extent of death in order to save us. What what we can garner from this example that Jesus sets is that that's the same attitude that we need to have towards life and everything in life. And that's not just motherhood and parenthood, but everything in life, including whether or not we get to be parents. So God will equip you with what you need for life and godliness, whether that is being a mother or not. God will equip you with whatever you need for the season, the time frame that you are in. You just need God, nothing more, nothing less. We need just him and he will give us whatever we need for the circumstances he has placed us in and the situation that we happen to be in in our lives. And again, these change throughout time. There are seasons of life. You're going to go be in school and in college, maybe in this career, in this job, in this place, living here, living there, having these relationships, having this community. It go, The list goes on and on. There are going to be different places and communities and circumstances you're placed in your life. God will give you exactly what you need for that particular moment in life and will help grow you so that the more challenging things that come your way, you will be able to push through those with his strength alone. Second Peter says this really clearly. The Apostle Peter shares this with us. He says in verse three, his divine power, speaking of God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The apostle Peter here is saying, guys, look, this life in godliness is is hard. I understand that. But God is going to give you and equip you and grant you with the things that you need, which are precious, which are precious promises that he has gifted to you and granted to you to allow you to live this life that is going to be challenging, is going to be countercultural. But the reason that we do it is because he has helped us help rescue us from the corruption of evil, from darkness, from sinful desire. So he's going to equip you and grant you with what you need to live holy lives that are dedicated to the Lord. The truth that a lot of us don't want to admit is that our aversion to parenthood it comes out of, is born out of how much today's culture has coddled our minds, especially millennials and Gen Z. I'm calling us out right now because I am Gen Z. 
This culture has taught us that we are just fine how we are. We should just accept ourselves, love ourselves, serve ourselves, and we should avoid doing things that are hard just for the sake of it because they're challenging. We shouldn't do it because it's difficult. It's not, I don't think it's as much of an aversion to children per se, because I, I really don't think that people hate children, or at least I pray that people don't absolutely hate children, but it's a hatred towards an aversion to accountability to responsibility, to being challenged, to being pushed to our limits, to growing, honestly. It's an aversion to integrity and honesty and the selflessness that is required of someone who is a parent. Being a parent requires you to be selfless. Even if you don't want to, there are going to be moments where you are forced into being selfless for the sake of that child. And again, I also do think it's an aversion to just adulthood and growing up. People are perpetual children nowadays. I think that people can kind of get stuck in this infantile mindset of, I want what I want. I'm going to pursue what I want. This is the career I want. This is the life I want. This is this is the relationship that I want. And, and they just pr push after that without really thinking too much about it. And ultimately, because we are sinful humans, that's going to be something that we commonly experience. It's it's understood that we are going to have our natural desires and we're going to try to chase after them. But God has a much better way for us. As sinful human beings, it is natural to, to shrink away from things that present challenges. And I get that. And selflessness is a huge challenge. It's so hard to give up what you want. Honestly, when I got married, I was faced with how selfish I am. And I always knew that I was a selfish person. I always knew that I'm a selfish person. But once I got married, how much it was mirrored and shown in my relationship and the things that I needed to adjust and change and improve upon, it just increased tenfold how much I was aware of my selfishness. Because I've always known that I want what I want. And I'm, I'm, that's who I am. I'm a sinful human being. But when you are in a marriage or when you become a parent, whatever situation that is looks like for you your selfishness is just you are so much more aware of it as christians though it needs to be continually our nature to gravitate towards the things that will help us exemplify christ opportunities that will help us shed his light who was the most selfless person both god and man to ever walk the earth so as christians we are continually being renewed and we're continually being sanctified to be more like Christ, which means that we start to hate things that are evil and we start to love what is holy and good. So we naturally start to gravitate towards things that will give us opportunities to show what, what Christ looks like, what it looks like to really be a Christian, what it looks like to pursue this life of holiness. The world will continually tell you that it's your business, your business alone, what you do, who you're with, what you choose to do with your body, whether you choose to become a parent or a mother or not, but actually it's God's business. He's the one who gets to decide whether you become a parent and a spouse. And it may be really hard to feel like maybe you're a mother before you're ready. Maybe you've become a mother before you were ready for it or it wasn't the most opportune moment for you to become a mother. But he's going to equip you with everything that you need for a life that is centered around him. And also maybe on the opposite side of the coin, excruciating, pa excruciatingly painful to want to become a mother and feel like God is saying no to that or is saying no right now at least. But he will also equip you for walking in godliness in that particular season or whether that is your whole life. Regardless of where you stand, whether you're a mother and you don't want to be, whether you want to be a mother and you are not, or whether you're just kind of not not wanting to become a mother in general, he's going to equip you for whatever you are in. And he's going to equip you for his glory, his honor, his praise, not for your your own. 
I wanted to actually look at one woman in the Bible who found herself in a really, really challenging situation when it comes to her motherhood. Because I will, it shows how God selected this person for His glory, and also He benefited her. It was also for her good. It's it's not often that you get to glimpse into the most personal, most intimate part of someone's life, but the Bible allows us to do that time and time again with these huge figures of faith. And the one mother that I would really like to talk about today is Hannah. So I did do an episode on I I, th- I think I did a couple episodes that talked a little bit about stories from First and Second Samuel because I've talked about. David and I've talked about the prophet Samuel as well. So this may be something that you've heard a little bit already, but I've never really truly focused on Hannah's story specifically, but I want us to look at her life and see how it exemplifies what God can do if you put your faith and your trust in him. Beautifully, Hannah's name means favor. It means grace. It's a Hebrew origin originated name, and it's a it's a girl's name, of course. And Hannah was known for her integrity, but she was also known for the conflict, the pain in her life. She was barren, and she was married to a man who also had another wife. So here's this one guy, and his name was Elkanah, and he had two wives, Hannah and then also Penina. And one of the challenges was that Hannah was barren and Panina was not. So Panina had children and Hannah was unable to have children. So her life was really challenging in that way. And there was constant conflict between the two wives, especially because in this time and in this culture, it was looked upon favorably to have children and very favorably also to have sons. So at this time, she was she was kind of like the lesser wife, the lesser spouse, because she wasn't a mother. And that's kind of just how it was seen. But we know that eventually she is able to have a child. Spoiler alert, if you have read First Samuel, we know that she does end up having a child. And she gave that child up to serve God at the temple. And she promised God that if he, if he please just allowed her to have a child, she would surrender that child into the service of the Lord. And she did keep that promise, and that shows her integrity. So Samuel's name means God has heard or the name of God. And so that's a really beautiful picture of the fact that she put her trust in God for Samuel and she named him essentially God has heard me God heard me cry God heard my pain God saw me and he fulfilled a longing in my heart I want to back up just a second to first Samuel chapter one we have to keep in mind that having two wives was already violating God's design for marriage because Akana decided to have two wives and he was not supposed to do that. He was only supposed to have one. So this resulted in the conflict that came between the two wives, which just shows the fact again that when you participate in sin, when you participate in sin, it's going to result in conflict and in strife and in pain. But God decided to redeem and restore this sin and this violation of his design for marriage and the covenant of marriage by taking two wives. God still decided to restore the situation. We also know that the husband played favorites. If you look in verse 4, you can see that when he sacrificed to God, he gave double portions for Hannah because he loved Hannah more. So even though Hannah was not a mother, Elkanah loved her more. And that's also an issue, the fact that he played favorites and he also created more strife between the wives by doing so. And so it's not all just on Panina for the fact that Panina would taunt Hannah because she was barren. She would mock Hannah. She would just create a lot of problems between them. But it was also the husband's fault for, first of all, taking two wives, and then second of all, playing favorites, which likely made Panina feel very inadequate, even though she had children. So she likely lorded over Hannah the fact that she had children. So there's all this relational strife that's going on in these first four verses 
of the of first samuel chapter one you can see clearly that there's already familial issues going on with this particular family there's relational issues there's conflict <clears throat> so hannah goes to the temple and she is praying to god and she essentially says god please 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 give me a child i would just i would i want a child more than anything Starting in verse 10 here, they're at the temple. It says, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli... So Eli is a priest who's in the temple. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. So I'm going to stop reading word for word here and just summarize the rest. Eli kind of reprimands her and he's like, why are you drunk in the house of the Lord? That's not good. You need to not be doing that. And Hannah's like, no, I'm not drunk. I'm, a, I'm just extremely upset. I'm very distressed and I'm praying to the Lord in my heart. And I'm so emotional and frustrated and upset that, you know, I'm not actually speaking out loud, that I'm only even able to speak in my heart. And so here's a woman who had been taunted, who had com been compared to the other wife, who has prayed for a baby and just and has promised the lord if you give me a baby i will i will give him back to you and so spoiler alert like i mentioned earlier in the episode she does end up being able to conceive and that child ends up becoming samuel she names him samuel god has heard and she returns to the temple and is essentially telling Eli, hey, remember me? That woman you thought was drunk, that was me. God answered my prayer. Here's my baby. I'm dedicating him to the Lord and to the service of the Lord. And so Eli ends up being the one to mentor and raise Samuel as he works and serves in the temple. And so the first thing that really pops out to me about Hannah is her faith. She had trust in the Lord that he had the ability to give her a son or a child. And she specifically prays for a son who, who God grants her with. And this this is, to me, very challenging to, to grapple with the fact that she had not been able to get pregnant all these years and that she still had faith that God can do it. Because for me, I have a lot of situations in my life where if God hasn't fulfilled something or he hasn't done something, I sometimes lose hope or I sometimes lose faith that, he, faith that he's even capable. And that's really a wrong view to have when it comes to the Lord. We know he can do anything and we know his heart and his desire is to save his people. And so I struggle sometimes if something isn't happening that I really want to happen. Is God capable? I have to ask myself is what I'm asking him. Is this in alignment with his word? Is it something that he would be pleased with? And I use the Bible to, to help me figure that out. Is what I'm asking God for, is this something that would honor and please him? So we have to keep in mind that first thing of when we're asking him for things, when we're distressed and we're upset, are we asking him for something that is in alignment with his word and his will and his heart? And the second thing, one of the biggest things that stands out to me about Hannah's story is who Samuel also ended up becoming. Samuel ended up became, becoming an incredible prophet. He's the one who anointed Dave, King David. He was a really influential part of Israel's history of the first, the inauguration of the kingship for Israel, even though that it really made Samuel upset that Israel wanted a king because their king, ultimately their ruler was God. But that's kind of a story for another time. Samuel was an incredibly influential prophet. He was a really important guy. And so 
what I what I garner from this is the fact that it should not be degrading or negative that a woman becomes well known for the man she raises. I think it's incredible that we can remember Hannah as the mother of Samuel, not just Hannah, the woman, because she is the mother of Samuel and she always will be <laughs> enshrined in that kind of position, the mother of this incredible prophet. And I think that our culture hates to say that, oh, you're just, you're just a mom. Like you're, you know, that's not as big of a deal as becoming a CEO or being becoming a celebrity or becoming this, that, and the other, or becoming well-known for the sake of it for yourself. It should be incredibly honoring that a woman gets to become the mother of someone incredible. I think that's amazing to be able to claim that your child grew up to be someone who influences others for the better. Not He doesn't necessarily have to be a prophet or a pastor, but it, it should be incredibly honoring that we could raise a child who would reflect God in his life and who could also reflect Jesus' light back out into the world and influence other people for the world and for the purpose of bringing people to the gospel. The question that I would pose to you, keeping in mind that you're more than a mother because you're first and foremost a follower of God, is that your children, if you are a mother, are your legacy. So what is your legacy? What are you the proverbial mother of if you aren't children? Like, what do people know about you that is the most important? Do they know that you're a servant of God? And do you exemplify that in your life? Meaning, what will your legacy be? What will you be remembered for? And I pray that for myself, that I won't be remembered for who I am, but that I'll be remembered for the legacy of the fact that God has changed my life. And that was very easy to see based on the fact that my marriage looked a certain way, maybe my motherhood looked a certain way. All those different things is that all those relationships that I had in my life, all the positions that God placed me in, it was very clear to see that God was working in those things. That is the prayer that I have for my life, that it would reflect and exemplify Jesus Christ. Is it clear from your life and the positions that God has given you, whether that is your career or whether that's motherhood or parenthood or being a spouse and a wife, whatever that looks like, is it clear from your life that God is working and changing you? It's it's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. You're still going to fall. You're still going to make mistakes. You are a sinful human being. But is it evident that God is present in your life? Are people able to look at you and see the fact that God is doing something, that Jesus is truly present in your life? I pray, I pray that people can look at my life and say, yes, God is with that person. God is with her. God is changing her. God is sanctifying her and making her more like himself. And when I interact with her, I feel like I can feel God in that relationship and I, I can see clearly that Christ is reflected in her life by the way she interacts with me, the way she interacts with others, the way that she approaches different things in her life. I can see that truly. I pray that people can say yes to that. And my prayer also, my hope for you is that you would have that same desire, that you would also pray the same thing, that when people interact with you, they can clearly see the mark of Jesus on your life. Motherhood is a huge, huge part of that. Being able to be a mother is an incredible privilege, and I think that our culture needs to stop hating it so much. Our culture needs to stop with this, this, I want to do what I want, and a children, children are a hindrance to that kind of thing. I really struggle with that attitude. I really struggle with people who hold that attitude because it... it when you really break it down to its most basic of circumstance, basic of concepts, it's an incredibly selfish position to have that I wouldn't want to provide and care for a child because I want what I want. That's really what it boils down to. And I know most people would never communicate it that way. But when you're saying, I don't want to be a mother because I'm not ready to become a mother, I think that that's really what it sounds like at the end of the day that, first of all, you don't you don't trust God to equip you with what you need for being a mother. That if he does bless you with becoming pregnant, 
If you say, I'm not ready, then I think that's a lack of faith in God. That's a lack of belief that God will equip you with what you need financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. He's going to equip you in all those different ways and all those different things that you need to be a mother and to be to do that successfully and to do that well. And so that's the first thing is the I'm not ready thing. And then the second part I would say is I don't want to become a mother. And I think that's even more, that's even worse of a position and attitude to have toward motherhood if you do end up becoming pregnant. Because the truth is that if you have been blessed with the fact that you can become pregnant, which so many women have to face the opposite, that they want to become a mother and cannot, then that's a privilege. That is a blessing that God has given you. And that's how he designed women to be. And so keeping all that in mind, I just want to close out with some of these last couple things of what we have learned from Hannah and what we see overall from the Bible is the first thing is that mothers advocate for their children. Hannah advocated for Samuel. We can see clearly that she wanted him to be in the house of the Lord and serving God, and she committed him to God's ways. So second of all, women train up their children in God's ways. Women commit their children to God's ways. They teach them God's ways. They can, they dis- discipline their children as they need, but women also exemplify the right characteristics, the holy characteristics of God so that their children, as they grow, they can see that clearly in their parents' lives. Proverbs 22.6 says it really clearly, train up a child the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So mothers instill those characteristics in their children. And I can clearly, clearly see that from the way that my mother raised us, my parents raised us, is that they exemplified these traits. They didn't just tell us, you should be good and honest and hardworking and all those great things. They exemplified that in their life. And the amount of action I saw in my parents life made me want to be like that. It wasn't necessarily the words or the lectures or the conversations, but it was clearly seeing that exemplified in their lives that made me want to be, to also have those characteristics in my life as well. Mothers are compassionate, they're loving, they're selfless, and mothers like Hannah did, they have integrity. They keep to their word and they do the right thing when no one is looking, except God, of course, because we know that God sees all. This reminds me a lot of what Jesus says in Luke 11 when he talks about shining the light of Christ and shining shining the light of God. And he says that no one after lighting a lamp puts in it in, ce- in a cellar or a basket, but on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays give you light. First thing I want to pull out of that is that no one puts a light in a cellar where no one can see it. If it's useful, it is seen. And if God is working in your life, then it is useful and it is seen. It's not hidden under a basket. It's not hidden down in a cellar. The light of Jesus should be extremely clear and and powerful in you. The second thing that I want to say which is what Jesus is saying here, like, be careful of what comes into your heart, because that's going to show back on the outside. Be careful, let the, lest the light in you be darkness. So be careful not to let sin creep in, to, to ask God for help with, with catching those things right off the bat. And then third, your whole life is going to exemplify Jesus if you are in him. When he says, let your let your life and your body be wholly bright, not just a part of it. And so motherhood is part of that. You can't just be holy and God-fearing in one part of your life and not turn over the concept of motherhood to him, to surrender motherhood to him. So you can't, you can't like dabble in Jesus right here and then not dabble in him in this other part of your life or to hold back something from him. You can't do that. Jesus is an all or nothing person. 
and Jesus is all or nothing God. And so he wants all of you. He wants to transform all of you. And that includes your status as a mother. And so whether that's your attitude towards motherhood, like your heart posture to it, or if you really are a mother, he's going to continually transform you in that particular season and in that way in that position that you hold in your life he's going to continually sanctify you and make you better and he's going to help you with that he's going to equip you for what you need to be godly in your motherhood you know on the other side too if you want to be a mother and you are not he's also going to equip you to walk out that really challenging walk in holiness in a way that honors and fears him and relies on him for strength so for all these things regardless of how you think about motherhood how you feel about it whether you are a mother or not Keeping in mind the fact that the Bible gives us wisdom for motherhood is an incredibly important thing to think about. There's not one thing that the Bible does not offer wisdom on. There's not one thing that God has said, you know what, I'm just going to leave it up to them. God has clearly given us his law, his will, and his heart. We know exactly what honors and pleases him, and we can learn that from studying the Bible. Same thing is true with motherhood. We're not keeping anything back from God. We're not going to say, God, I'm going to give you my marriage, but not my attitude towards motherhood. It's all or nothing, all or nothing. It's going to be all those things at once. And God is going to change you. He's going to sanctify you more every single day. And I probably said sanctify like a million times in this particular episode, but it really is true that he's going to make you more holy. He's going to carve out the sin and he's going to continually make you more like him every single day. That includes with motherhood. So I pray that this episode has been a little bit helpful, has given you something to think about, and hopefully that maybe it's challenged some of the attitudes and ideas that you have about motherhood for yourself as well, especially if you're a woman. So I'm just really grateful that you have tuned in. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Mother's Day, and I'll catch you on next week's episode.